What do you do when the insurance company pays you less than the bottom line? Do you lose money or stop doing a necessary procedure? And how do you live with your choice? You're listening to Reach MDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, your host, and with us today is Dr. Pamela Moore, Senior Editor at Physicians Practice Magazine. Welcome, Pam. Thanks. I'm thrilled to join you. Well, here's the problem that we were talking about. A procedure costs a dollar for you to do, and you get reimbursed 50 cents by the insurance company. Or procedure costs $500, and you get reimbursed $100. Give us some examples in, in the real world of where this is happening and how it's affecting our practices. Well, one good example is in the area of the, the new HPV vaccination from Merck. So the FDA had approved that vaccination for all girls and women from ages 9 to 26. And the CDC actually advises it for all girls 11 to 12. Now, that vaccination costs about $120 a dose, and there's three doses to make it fully effective. So often that's hard cash that physicians are paying out of pocket in advance. But because it's new and a lot of payers haven't gotten around to it and a lot of payers are, you know, payers, many of them aren't reimbursing at all for it yet. So that's one example of what is a physician to do. Your CDC says to do this vaccination. You believe in vaccinations as a medical professional, but you can't keep spending this money out of pocket just to do the right thing. And let me ask you a question to play angel's advocate here for a second. If that happens and the insurance company's not reimbursing, can you bill the patient? If the payer is not, does not cover the service, you can technically bill the patient. What I would say is that many practices aren't sophisticated enough to track all that down in the first place. And if they are and they go to the patient, it's difficult to collect from patients. And the patient often has a real issue about it. Like, look, I pay for health insurance every month. And you get into this mire. Right. You get into an angry argument with your patient where you shouldn't be. Around issues you don't want to be, as a physician, really dealing with. So what else is happening out there? Here's another example that I keep seeing is internal medicine practices who for a long time offered their own lab work. So, you know, you're a whatever, 68-year-old male, you go in for your annual physical, and as part of that, you get a blood draw, and they test, you know, your hemoglobin and your thyroid function and whatever, your cholesterol. Many of those standard lab tests are now reimbursed less than it costs the physician to provide that lab test in their office. So more and more practices, who often ran that as sort of a lost center anyway, or they just barely broke even, now they're losing so much that they're saying, you know what, we're closing down the lab, We'll just tell all our patients to run down to Quest or whoever their payer works with, and they can just get the work done there. I'm not you know, hiring a lab tech to sit around and draw people's blood anymore. The patient eventually gets the service, but certainly for an older population, it's hugely inconvenient. It's inconvenient for me, I know, personally, as a working mother, to take you know, another hour out, go figure out where the closest lab is, fat, you know, it's like forever. There's also this running risk of inaccurate communication between the lab and the physician and the physician to the patient. So once I go to Quest or LabCorp or wherever, get my blood drawn, I hope that it gets to my physician, and I hope that somebody's checking to make sure that paperwork comes in. And then once it gets to the physician, I hope she's actually re- reviewing it, and I hope that she actually calls me if, in fact, I do have diabetes or a thyroid problem or terribly high cholesterol. There's a lot of gaps that can happen to risk the quality of the patient care. So what do we do as doctors? I know my own situation as a dermatologist is I have one insurance company that will remain unnamed that pays so little for surgical removal, like if there's a bad nevus or a wart, that I always have this thought of like, oh, just send them to a surgeon and you can make more money, but I can't do that to my patients. I, 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 
and it's it's a problem because I I'm mentally starting to resent these patients when they need surgery, and I have to like fight that off. What are we supposed to do as doctors here? Lose money, or do we make decisions on a case by case basis? You know, hopefully you're able to resist putting yourself in that mental pressure cooker and forcing yourself to make these ethical decisions. So one thing I would say is if you're running your business tightly in the first place, hopefully losing a little bit of money here and there is less of an issue. Easier said than done, certainly. The other thing I would advocate is whatever your policy is going to be, it needs to be a consistent policy. So if to take your example... If you're going to refuse to remove that mole on one patient, you better make sure you decide that that mole needs to be sent to a specialist on every other patient, lest it seem discriminatory. What that means is that every physician has to face those ethical and financial issues head on instead of obscuring them under sort of an emotional morass, you know, because you certainly don't want to make it a situation where, you know, you, you kind of make the decision on a whim rather than based on clinical evidence or based on financial evidence. It's kind of like, I'm sure I'm going to lose money. I'm just going to move on. That's a worst-case scenario. You need to confront it head-on and decide how you're going to proceed. Well, ethically, I always choose to, I mean, I always choose to do the procedure, and, and I justify it by saying, well, sooner or later, this patient's probably going to be with a really good insurance company, and they won't resent the fact that I sent them elsewhere, and, and then I'll be happy and make more money. And I think it kind of works that way in the long run. We're not a business. Uh, medicine's not a business. It's a, it's a sacred profession. It's a calling. But there are business aspects to medicine. Uh, should we have lost leaders in our office occasionally? Should we just accept that? This is actually good for us and tell patients they're lost leaders. How's that for a turnaround? <laughs> I think it's, it's often not a bad idea to have a lost leader and partly for the reason you suggest when you say, you know, this dermatology patient will have a better payer at some point. So to go back to the example of internal medicine, if you're not offering the convenience of an in-office lab, is your patient base going to go somewhere else that offers that more convenient service? Same thing in pediatric offices who are increasingly considering not offering immunizations anymore because they can lose money on them. Well, if I'm a mother with a toddler, do I really want to be running all over town looking for a place to get my immunizations? No, I'll just find a new pediatrician. Thank you very much. So sometimes you need to take a loss leader for very legitimate business purposes aside from the ethical issues. Okay, before we take a loss leader here, if you've just joined us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MDXM 233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Pam Moore from Physicians Practice Magazine about what to do when the insurance company pays you less than the cost of a procedure. Okay, Pam, let me ask you a question. Let's talk about lost leaders for a second, because I think they can be used to your advantage, actually, in the long run. Insurance companies don't pay for skin tags. Uh, I'm a dermatologist. And so what I've learned to do is tell my patients, like, oh, three or four skin tags, I'm going to take them off for free, but don't tell your friends. Tell them I was mean because I don't want them getting stuff for free. And they all laugh at the joke. And patients love that. You know, what I'm losing on a few skin tags, I'm gaining actually in patient satisfaction and loyalty. That's right. And also in your own personal satisfaction, which I think even if you lose money on something big, like say you really believe in the HPV vaccination and you lose a lot of money every time and you know what it means you can't take that European vacation. But if your everyday existence feels better to you as a physician, you know you're helping your patient and you're being there friend, like even in the jokey way you're talking about, but also you're literally helping their care, it might be worth the cost to you. Okay. Once again, let me play the other side. (laughs) How do you react when you decide you can't take that European vacation and the last 10 patients you gave the HPV vaccine to tell you about their European vacation they took? 
And they were able to afford it because you paid for their vaccine. I mean, these are real issues because it does happen in, in the, that a patient you give a break to um, suddenly tells you about their expensive vacation. I think we, we need to look at that. Partly, I feel like this is a matter of you being happy with yourself. You can't be in charge of the healthcare system. So on a day-to-day basis, you have to know, even though I made that sacrifice, the patient didn't have to make the sacrifice, and that's not the way the world should work if it's fair. Would you feel better if you refused the patient the vaccination? Well, I agree. My philosophy is never to be the wealthiest guy in the cemetery someday. Although it's a difficult decision to make, and I know a lot of physicians do feel frustrated, for example, about patients who won't pay their bill to their physician but come in wearing fancy sneakers or carrying a Gucci handbag or whatever it is. You have to be careful about that because the last patient who carried a Gucci handbag who had trouble paying her bill, and I said, where'd you get that handbag? It was actually a hand-me-down. She was a cleaning lady, and she got it from the lady that she worked for. So you have to be careful about those handbags and sneakers. There you go. You never know. And I think a lot of it goes to attitude. To speak more particularly about the patient collections issue, I think a lot of physicians aren't very good about asking the patients for money, whereas you better believe Gucci's going to ask for the money. So some of that's your own fault. And some of it just to speak to the lifestyle, the career satisfaction, the sort of psychological issue of all this. Some of it you just have to breathe deeply and let go and do what's right for you and just not worry about the rest. I agree. Let me, uh, let, let me take a different tact here for a second, something that I always think about. What do you think about, for instance, dropping insurance companies? I see colleagues terminating their contracts over a few dollars difference. But in my opinion, isn't this bad business practice because you end up alienating so many old patients and, and they think you're just in this for the money and they take all their good-paying family members to the next practice with them? How, would you comment about that? I think that's um, dropping payers is probably something more practices should do, actually, although oh, really? you need to analyze it carefully. So I think it's silly to drop a payer over a few dollars. I think another place to look at that's almost more important is how long and how painful is the payment process. So for example, payer A might pay you a dollar more for that procedure. Payer B pays you less, but they pay you within 30 days. You send in the claim, they just pay it, whereas payer one, to get that dollar more, it takes them 90 days, you have to go through 20 denials. I think practices forget to look at that part. Certainly also part of that decision should be looking at what percent of your patient base already your existing patients are with that payer. Now, if you decide to go out of network with a payer to drop that payer, you sure can write a personal note to all those patients saying, gosh, I'm really sorry. They just made it impossible for us to do business with them anymore, but we love you as a patient. Come on in anyway and pay us cash and you can ask your payer to get reimbursed at least part of what you're doing, at least for part of your cost. We're certainly seeing a huge trend in primary care practices who are contracting with zero payers. All their work is cash only. And they have a beautiful relationship with their patients because they are able to spend more time with those patients and they're not under this pressure that managed care tends to put on a high-volume practice like dermatology or primary care. I think that speaks to what you said in your article about looking for ways to avoid ethical quandaries to begin with. Can we talk about that for just a short minute here? Uh, looking in your practice to avoid the quandaries before you get to them. Absolutely, and it it does tie into this conversation exactly. So what I see is a lot of physicians fly off the handle. They're so emotionally wrought and feel so beat up on by the system that when they realize they're losing some money in one place, rather than looking at the big picture and saying, okay, we want to keep offering this service ideally, even though we're losing some money here, where can we tighten things up elsewhere? Where can we add, say, another service? 
say in the case of dermatology, maybe we can do some microdermabrasion, maybe we can do some Botox, you know, something like that, which would bring us enough money that we can continue to remove those skin tags and remove moles for people for free because that's what we really believe in. So try to get creative about solving the problem rather than putting, forcing yourself into the ethical quandary. Right. And, and the bottom line, finally, as you say in your article, if it's wrong and feels bad to lose money, but keep your focus on care and don't get wrapped up in the emotions. That's right. So whether you're looking at the clinical guidelines or you're looking at solid financial principles, that's one thing. But if you just feel beat up upon and respond emotionally, you're going to make the wrong decision. Pam, thanks for being my guest today and discussing real-world ethics of what we do when our cost exceeds our reimbursement. I'm Dr. Michael Greenberg, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM233, the channel for medical professionals. The hosts, producers, and staff at ReachMDXM are here for you, the physicians who care for patients. Tell us what you want and what you need. Send your email to xm at reachmd.com, and we truly thank you for listening.